wanted to just remind, you'll hear about this at the end of the service when Matt does announcements, but I want to just remind you about something very important. In two weeks is our um, second, I think quarterly-ish, we're going to try to do this, our second that we've ever done of a, what's called a family meeting. And that's for members. And uh, if you're not a member yet, we'd encourage you to uh, sign up for the membership class that you'll also hear about from Matt at the end of the service coming up in about a month. Um, but anybody's welcome to come and listen in. It's not just for members. Anybody can come listen in to what we're all about. But we'd really ask you to make that meeting a priority. It's going to be a potluck, and uh, we're all a fan of that, right? James Davenport, is he in here? I think he might have just left. He's out there. But um, potluck's good, and we're going to talk about some really important issues that we'd really love to see you come and make that a priority. In addition, we'll have the elders up here, kind of like town meeting kind of style, where we can just answer any questions you have. And so I posted a message on Slack just asking for um, questions you would have. Just send those to the elders, and we would love to address uh, questions that you send in on Slack, and we'll try to get to as many of those as we can. About anything in reference to the vine, we want to be as transparent as possible. Um, so feel free to do that as well. If you're new here, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors, and we are in a series in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 5. And we've been working our way through the Beatitudes. Matthew, if you're not familiar with your Bible, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And Matthew is writing all the things that he could remember about Jesus' life and what he said and what he did. And we are kind of pushing our way through a series on these things called Beatitudes, a Latin word for blessing. And today we're going to be focusing on verse 9, when Jesus says this, Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, would you do your work now to apply your word by the power of your spirit, to our hearts, for the sake of your glory and our joy, we confess this morning that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we come again saying we are needy, we are open. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the discouraged this morning, that you would humble the proud this morning, and that we would know that we are truly your children. If there's those here this morning that don't know that, don't really know for sure if they can know that God is their father, that their eternity is secure. Lord, I pray that that would be made clear. You would draw people to yourself this morning. Expand your family this morning among neighbors and nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Really big idea this morning I want us to leave here with. There is... A big difference between peacemaking, like it says in verse 9, peacemakers, you see that? There's a big difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping, okay? There's a big difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Let me give you an illustration. We've seen it all the time if you watch football at any level, mainly in the NFL though, these guys that get into conflicts with each other. Not just the game as conflict, but actually they get in fights on the field. We've all seen it. 
we hear all the time that we don't want to glamorize violence, but the second some bench-clearing brawl breaks out, what's the headline on ESPN? What's the first video that pops up, right, on SportsCenter? It's the fight. And I feel like football fights are the dumbest, right? Why? Because these dudes are all armored up, you know, and, and they start swinging, and what's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, you're going to break your hand on that guy's helmet, right? Football fights are the dumbest, right, Nate? Exactly. They're dumb. Former Michigan Wolverine over here in the front row. Um, and uh, so what we see all the time, though, is when there's a football fight or a basketball fight or whatever, is cooler heads try to prevail, and it's like the hold me back, you know, like guys rushing in. No, 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 break it up, break it up, break it up. So what is that? What is, breaking up the fight, what is that? That's a picture of peacekeeping. Just peacekeeping. Just trying to maintain calm. Just trying to get everybody calmed down. Go back to your bench. Go back to your sideline. Just do whatever it takes to get this fight to stop. That's peacekeeping. Now, when a lot of us read this verse, and myself included, as I was thinking about what I was going to preach this week, that's kind of what I had in mind. Blessed are the peacekeepers. That's not what it says. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is not talking about peacekeeping. He's talking about peacemaking. That's a very different thing. Peacekeeping is simple compared to peacemaking. Peacemaking is hard. It takes more effort. It takes more commitment. It takes more time. It's a lot more than just holding somebody back, as we're going to explore today. So let's stick with the, the fights in sports illustration. Say it's an NFL game. Peacekeeping, holding the guy back, sending everyone back to their sideline. Peacemaking might be something like this. Peacemaking is we get those two guys that are fighting together. and We call a meeting after the game. Hey, we got to sit down and talk about this. And each guy tells the other guy why they were upset and what happened. And then we say, man, well, you need to try to place yourself in this other guy's shoes. How would you feel if you were them? And then you ask them to, like, consider the consequences of your actions. You might get labeled a hothead. You might get fined a large amount of money. You might be seen as uncoachable. Well, these two football players that are listening to you, trying to help them figure out peace, be a peacemaker between the two of them, they're not so sure. And, and so you got to call another meeting. But things get fired up again, and they start swinging again. And you jump in and try to break it up, and you actually get clocked in the face as these two huge guys are going at it. So peacemaking, as we see, is not so comfortable or easy. But you get them separated, calm down, and this meeting leads to more meetings, trying to get these guys to make peace with each other, listen to each other, hear from each other. So you got this series of meetings to get them to work things out until eventually they drop their pride and agree to make peace with one another. That's a story of peacemaking. Just an example to, to illustrate. But as you can see, between the two scenarios, one is way more costly than the other. One requires way more commitment and effort than the other. Holding somebody back in a moment is easy just to keep the peace. Making peace is different. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is what Jesus calls his people to. If you want to be an experience, you want to experience blessing, 
It comes through peacemaking, being an agent of peace. We all know that our world is messed up. Peacemaking is a big deal in our world today. Listen to this quote. You'll see it on the screen. It's from a book called The Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant. It says this, War is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. Now, let's talk about worldwide. Now, does that not ring true? Can you, you can think about our lifetimes, right? Can you think of ever a time in your lifetime when you weren't aware of some war going on somewhere in the world? I can't. Like, how we need peacemakers, right? Our human nature leads us to chaos and death, the opposite of peace. World history tells us this is true. And this is why Jesus promises that those who pursue peace will be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. War, conflict equals chaos. That's not blessing. Jesus said, blessing is with those who pursue peace. Now, a lot of us in the room, we've never experienced actual war. But the Bible says we can make war with our words. And a lot, for a lot of us, that hits a lot closer to home, right? When it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our parenting. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're going to explore this. Let me give you a quote that demonstrates what this verse is all about. And then we're going to dive into the practical details. This is from uh, a pastor named Kent Hughes. He says this. Fundamental to understanding what Christ is saying in this verse, Matthew 5, 9, is the precise meaning of the exquisite word peacemakers. Taking the first half of the word peace, we understand it to mean much the same as the Hebrew word shalom, which bears the idea of wholeness and overall well-being. When a Jew said shalom, he was wishing another more than the absence of trouble, but all that made for a complete, whole life. God's peace is not narrowly defined. It's much more than the absence of strife. It encompasses all of the person. It is positive. The second half of the word, makers, so peacemakers, demands that we understand that the person is not passive, but is a source of peace. As it is used here, it is a dynamic word bursting with energy. Both parts of the word peacemakers taken together describe one who actively pursues peace in its fullness. He pursues more than the absence of conflict. Just keeping the peace. He pursues wholeness and well-being. You feel the difference? So summed up, I would sum it up like this. Peacemaking is the active pursuit contrasted with passive right so peacemaking is the active pursuit of wholeness and well-being of others in relationship to God and one another again remember the illustration of the football fight 
It looks more like a series of conversations and willingness to dive in into the details and even put yourself at risk. So peacemaking is the active pursuit of wholeness and well-being of others in relationship to God and one another. Let me, let me give you another quote from Kent Hughes. He says this, Bearing this in mind, we can then understand what peacemaking is not. A peacemaker is not, as commonly supposed, the kind of person who is easygoing, laissez-faire, who does not care what anyone else does as long as it does not directly affect him. Neither is the peacemaker always tolerant. You do your thing and I'll do mine. Nor is the peacemaker an appeaser, the kind who wants peace at any price. Appeasement does not make for peace. It just puts off the conflict. The true peacemaker, contrary to what most people think, is not afraid of making waves. And the Bible shows this to be true. The Bible shows this to be true. Listen to these verses about the, the nature of peacemaking, the, the amount of effort it takes to be a peacemaker. The Bible implies this. Look at uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Paul writes this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, here it is, verse 3. Eager. So eager is not a passive word. Eager is an active word. It's a disposition word, right? The op opposite of eager would just be like, eh, I don't really care. No, it says, I'm eager to what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, right? So that's a descriptive word about how we carry ourselves when it, when it comes to making peace, right? We're eager to maintain peace. Look at uh, Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So uh, pursue, the word pursue, that's an active word. That's not just the, ah, whatever, laissez-faire. No, we're going to pursue what makes for peace. We're going to be pursuing being peacemakers. See that? See how the Bible talks about that? Let me give you one more, Romans 12, 18. In, if possible, so far as depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So as far as it depends on you. So like there's things that depend on you. So pay attention to those. Pay attention to those things that depend on you. Because peace is a big deal. Live at peace with everybody. If it depends on you. Now, here's the irony. Those who really want to be peacemakers may have to be willing to fight to make peace. Meaning, I might want to be lazy or fearful, but a fighting spirit will say, no, peace is worth it if possible. As far as it depends on me, I'm not going to roll over until we can seek to honor God and pursue our long-term joy in not having this conflict destroy. We're not just going to sweep stuff under the rug. No problem, no problem here, nothing to see, nothing to see, just carry on. Those of you who have been in dysfunctional families for years and years and years where we sweep stuff under the rug, you know that over time, that doesn't lead to peace, does it? Least leads to toxicity. Sweep it under the rug. 
Now listen, in this talk about being, um, like rejecting passivity when it comes to being a peacemaker, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, well, that's a very important part of that verse because there will come a point for all of us when as far as it depends on you, you've reached the ceiling, you've reached the limit. And, and tragically, in this, in this fallen world we live in, there's only so much you can do. But I would just say this, before you're, you're um, going to let it go, going to let the peacemaking process go, I mean, just seek some counsel from someone that loves God, loves you, loves his word. And I'm thinking like we've reached the ceiling here. What do you think? Is it time to let it go? It feels like as far as it depends on me, I'm, I'm done. But, but can, I want to seek your counsel here. So these, these letting it go, letting the peacemaking process go, that decision needs to be really thoughtful and prayerful. Okay? So if we remember our definition, listen, let me say it again. Peacemaking is the active pursuit of wholeness and well-being of others in relationship to God and one another. This takes effort and willingness to endure suffering for the sake of peace. It takes effort and willingness to endure suffering. Let's go back to the football players in a fight. If they're getting heated in that room and they start swinging, again, I might be at risk as I try to make peace. But is this not the nature of the gospel in how God relates to us in the gospel? Right? You feel that? Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Listen to what God's word says, Colossians 1, 19-20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile, that's another like kind of peacemaking word, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or on heaven, making, here it is, making, there's that word, making peace, how? Through sweeping stuff under the rug? No. By, his, by the blood of his cross. The cross is rejecting passivity, actively pursuing the cross. What? To make peace between God and us. Jesus is a peacemaker. He doesn't sweep stuff under the rug. He says, whatever's under the rug, I'm willing to bear it. I'll take it. I'll deal with it. By my very own blood. He's not just in some room trying to keep some dudes separated. No, he's laying down his life. That's the ultimate risk, right? He's going to do whatever it took to make peace all the way to giving his life. So when you lay down your life for the sake of trying to bring peace, you're acting how God acts. You see that? God is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. This is God's nature, and you align yourself with him when you join him in this value. And that's why the second half of this verse says, you will be called sons or daughters of God. You'll look like his family member when you act like he likes, or act like he acts, when you look like he looks.
when you behave like God behaves, you know for sure that you are in his family. Peacemaking is the active pursuit of wholeness and well-being of others in relationship to God and one another. So let's get into the details a little more. If you really want to be a peacemaker, here's what I would commend to you. Be willing to share your faith. If you really want to be a peacemaker, be willing to share your faith. Why would I say that? Well, because the ultimate peace that human beings need is peace with God. And the gospel tells us how we find true peace with God. That, that we need to reject passivity and not just sweep things under the rug and tell people the truth. Lovingly, gently, truthfully, be willing to tell people the truth. So, so, so we know how peace with God can be found. It happened as a historical event that needs to be shared that can be validated. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the event on which all known history hinges. It's not a matter of seeking good advice and your plan in this religion versus my plan and my religion. And you got some advice that you're following and I'm following some advice because I believe in Jesus and what he says. No, this boils down to history. Because if it actually happened... That Jesus is legit. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the one who says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And we say, yes, Jesus, we believe you because you're risen from the dead. That needs to be shared. So the question is, who are you in relational proximity to that needs to hear that? That's peacemaking, ultimate peacemaking between God and human beings. And I would just commend to you this. Invite someone to your home. Let's be people that pursue hospitality. Let's have some people in, have a meal. Just, just gather around your table. Love people enough to show them hospitality and be willing to share your convictions in a way that's winsome and loving and truthful. And just pray about it. And maybe you're like, I don't even know who that is. Well, I would just tell you to start praying about it. God, would you bring someone across my path that needs to find peace with you? Would you do that, God? He loves to answer that prayer. I, I commend to you, if you just start praying that prayer, God promises to answer prayers that are in alignment with his will. And we know for a fact that that's his will. So just invite him into your home. See what the Holy Spirit will do. So peacemaking is going to look like sharing your faith. Now, if we think about peacemaking more holistically in terms of relationships like your marriage, your parenting, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, whatever, in terms of where's that spot where there's maybe some relational chaos, it's going to require two things. Number one, it's going to require honesty. Number two, it's going to re require courage. Peacemakers need to be honest, peacemakers have to have courage, okay? So first of all, peacemaking takes honesty. So you can't bring true peace to a situation unless you bring a true, honest diagnosis of the situation, right? It's kind of like if you have cancer, 
but your doctor just wants to keep the peace. Meaning, man, if I walk in that room and tell them that they have cancer, they're going to flip out. And I don't want them to flip out because then what do I say? And I'll have to clean up this emotional mess and I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to keep the peace. What does peacekeeping do in that situation? It sentences someone to death, right? Holding back details. Not being willing to be honest, right? See, a lack of honesty never results in true peace. It might make you feel better in the moment as a, as a, as a policy of avoidance, but it won't bring true, pre, true peace. Pursuing peace always implies truth-telling that's done in a gentle way, but is done in a truthful way. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a, a woodworker um, as one of my hobbies, and I've gotten burned, and I've used this illustration in the past, but for those of you who haven't heard it, like I've gotten burned in the past by not being honest about uh, a certain piece of lumber. And I look at that lumber, and I know it's not straight, but I'm just like, uh, it's, it's, I'll just call it straight. Right? I'm not being honest about that, that lumber. It's a little warped. It's a little twisted. And I'm just like, man, through glue and clamps and sanding and some screws, like I can make that board straight, right? See, look, it's straight right now. But over time... Like those conflicts, when we sweep them under the rug, it will want to return to its original state. And it will crack and resist that force that I put, put on it. And it will warp and crack. And I should have just admitted from the beginning that the board was not straight. I should have been honest at the beginning. Look, the board is, the board is straight is like saying, look, there, there's peace here. No, it's just a faux peace if we're really being honest about the situation. So the point is, peacemakers are always pursuing 100% honesty. Getting all the issues on the table. So like when my wife and I get in a conflict, we're not doing this perfectly, but we're, we're trying to head in that direction. We're for sure not we, what we once were. See, when we get in a conflict, there's always that, that kind of question of like, is there anything left rolling around in there that we need to get on the table? Like, let's not hold anything back. Because if we keep sweeping stuff under the rug, it's just going to crawl back out. Right? So let's deal with the, the 2% that's, that's left under the rug. Let's get it all out. Let's do a full, full cleanse. You know what I'm saying? Is there, is there 1% left in there? Let's get at it. Because we want that true peace. It might be hard in the short term to, to get into it and it hurts and it's messy. But, man, we know long term, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So let's pursue it. Let's pursue it. Let's get after it. Let's be honest. Get the sickness fully diagnosed. Truly assess that piece of lumber. Is it really flat and straight? This is what Jeremiah the prophet said as he rebukes his people that were just sweeping junk under the rug. They have healed, here's his metaphor, they've healed the wound of my people lightly when it should have been heavily. Like, they, they should have broke the arm to reset it, to make sure it's actually going to set right. But they weren't willing to break the arm. And they said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now nah, the, the arm's broken, but it's not that bad. We'll just let it heal however it wants. That's what Jeremiah's trying to convict his people of. Peacemaking takes honesty. Secondly, peacemaking takes courage. 
It takes security in the gospel to admit that you were wrong. And it also takes security in the gospel to admit that you have been wronged. Both. See that? See, if I've wronged somebody, God knows that. And hopefully, if I'm honest, I'm willing to admit that to him and ask for his forgiveness. So if that's a reality, and it should be a reality for all of us, if you're a Christian this morning. If I'm willing to admit it to God, why, why is it hard for me to admit it to somebody else? Like your spouse or your boss or your brother or your sister or your roommate. I repented to the Lord, so why should I have to hide it from you? Maybe it's because I care more about your opinion than I care about God's opinion. See, if we get that reversed, if we get that switched around, then we have a chance to truly be an agent of peace. But that does take courage. But that courage is fueled by understanding that I do have peace with God. You see? But it also takes courage to bring to light when you have been wronged. See, a lot of us don't want to make waves. We're, we're habitual conflict avoiders. So we fail to understand that sometimes true peacemaking means we're going to have to pass through conflict. Right? You're going to have to walk through uh, one of my mentors called the tunnel of chaos to get to the peace on the other side. See, for some of us, we just want faux peace. And faux peace is knowing that the Bible says that you should go and gently and honestly talk. Matthew 18, if someone sins against you, step number one, don't talk about them, talk to that person. So we're not going to gossip. Did you hear what they said about me? Did you hear what they did to me? We're going to go talk to that person. Now, sometimes you might need to seek counsel. Like, I feel like I've been hurt here. And, 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 and I just need, maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. Am I being overly sensitive? That is gossip if you don't go talk to that person. Okay? But if you go talk to that person, then it's probably wise to maybe just check in. Maybe that person will say, yeah, I think you are being oversensitive. Maybe it's okay for, on this one. Just let it go. Let love cover that. Okay? Now, that's not gossip. Um, that's just seeking wise counsel. We've got to be very careful. There's nuance here. Gossip destroys and if you have to seek counsel from 10 people, that's probably a problem, right? But seeking counsel from one person that maybe is older and loves you and loves God's word, and then if that person, make sure that person challenges you, you got to go tell that person now. Okay? So that's good. That's good. So we got to use wisdom here. Sometimes a lot of us, our feelings are very, very close to the surface, and we get hurt by, you know, the slightest drop of a feather or whatever. So maybe you need to be cautious. Some of you are just going to bury everything. And you never. And then you just get bitter over the years. And you gotta, you got to have courage. you got to be honest. Right? Now, would you go and tell that person for the sake of peacemaking how you feel you've been wronged? They might not receive it. But that's not up to you. If you go with respect and humility and gentleness and they don't receive it, that's on them. It's never going to be perfect. So this requires in a community an environment of grace where I'm willing to not hold you to a standard of perfection. You didn't say the words correctly. And so now I'm going to string you up and I have a problem with you. We've got to have an environment of grace and trust if we're going to do this well. 
But at the end of the day, they're not always going to receive it. And that's not up to you. Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you. Okay? So peacemaking is going to take honesty and courage. Let me close with a gospel reminder. For those who know that peace they have with God through the gospel, just be reminded again this morning, your sins, we're going to be reminded in the Lord's table in a second, your sins have been removed from you by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1 said, reminded us this morning, right? Your sins have been removed from you by the ultimate peacemaker who has pursued you. Jesus rejected passivity out of his love for you, pursued your peace. The most important peace in the world, eternal peace. Your sins placed on Jesus so that God is no longer a God of wrath in reference to you, but he's your father who promises you a heavenly inheritance. He welcomes you. So if you know this peace, if you don't know this peace this morning, let's talk. I'd love to talk to you. A lot of us in here would love to talk to you. Man, I don't get this piece. Can you break this down for me? Man, we're here for that conversation. We love that conversation. Questions are okay at the vine, okay? But if you know this piece, if you know for sure that you have this peace with God, then you are in the process of becoming a truly active, passivity-rejecting peacemaker. Let me close with one more quote from Kent Hughes. He says this, the radicalness of Christ's call to peacemaking that we read, Matthew 5, 9 this morning, demands a renovation of human personality. One must first have a profound experience of the shalom of God. That's what I just got done explaining. No one can become a peacemaker until he has found peace himself. The tragedy is that people do not go to the heart of the matter. Without grace, we are natural enemies of God and of one another. Our hearts must be changed. We cannot give what we do not possess. The inner change, coupled with dependence on the Spirit, is what makes a peacemaker. The Holy Spirit molds the character of peacemakers' lives so that their ethos becomes increasingly gentle, humble, and loving. He elevates their integrity so that they can honestly evaluate the development of peace in their personal lives and society. He steals them not to say there is peace when there is no peace. The Spirit leads them to risk pain and misunderstanding in the pursuit of peace. He also leads them in developing the divinely aggressive spirit that wages peace. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Would you make us peacemakers like you are? May we reflect this reality to an onlooking world for the sake of your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.